0: Listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at WellChurchVT.com.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. Today I want to continue our conversation on incorporating spiritual rhythms into our lives. And I want to start by reading some words from Jesus on living the Christian life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And you know, sometimes, when we read a passage like this, we fail to think it all the way through. Uh, when I read these words by Jesus, "My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light," it makes me pause, because Living and loving like Jesus doesn't always feel easy to me. And so it begs the question, what did Jesus mean by that? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I finished watching the Michael Jordan documentary that was airing on ESPN called The Last Dance. For those, most of you probably know, Michael Jordan was one of the best, if not the best, basketball player ever to live. And um, ESPN did a documentary on his career. And and Jordan had a way of making basketball look easy. He, he always came through in the clutch. He was automatic in critical moments, won multiple championships for the Chicago Bulls, and as a Knicks fan, I hated it. I hated it because I knew that whenever the Knicks faced the Bulls, Jordan would find a way to beat them, and he did. And during that time, he was by far the best player on the planet, and every young basketball player wanted to be like him. I even remember Gatorade making a commercial and they had this little song that accompanied this commercial that went like Mike, if I could be like Mike. And as young basketball players, we all bought it. We we thought if we just drank Gatorade and, and bought some Air Jordans, we would be able to play like Michael Jordan. And yet the fact of the matter obviously is that Gatorade And Nike had very little to do, if anything at all, to do with Jordan's performance. It was his preparation. It was his practice. It was his dedication that made him the the player who he was. And, And he made it all look easy because he adopted a certain way of life. And I say all that to say this. If we want the easy yoke that Jesus promises... We have to adopt his overall way of life. It's not enough for us just to go to church once in a while and say a prayer every now and then. That's the equivalent of drinking some Gatorade and putting on Air Jordans. No, we, we have to adopt an unyielding resolve to practice the way of Jesus and to be coached by the Holy Spirit. So when a critical moment comes in our lives, when it's crunch time, when the game's on the line, we're instinctively able to bless those who curse us, to pray without ceasing, to turn the other cheek, to be at peace during a storm, to conquer evil, to to love our neighbors as ourselves. See, while the scriptures tell us that we're saved by grace through faith, It's a gift of God. It's not something we earn through performance. It's a gift. We're saved by grace through faith. But that doesn't mean that we instantly have the ability to live in love like Jesus did. There's a process involved with becoming like Jesus. And the Bible calls that process sanctification. It's a process where we're slowly transformed into his image. And that formation happens when we practice the way of Jesus. And that's why incorporating healthy spiritual rhythms are so vital for living the Christian life. Because they allow us to become more instinctive followers of Jesus. So when it comes time to respond, like Jesus responded... We're prepared and ready. So today I want to talk about incorporating a rhythm of confession. You know, I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, I was an altar boy. And one of the things that I did as a young Roman Catholic is I went to confession every week. And and for those of you who don't know what that is, in the Roman Catholic tradition, there's usually a confessional booth somewhere at the back of the church where the priest um, hears your confession Confessing of sins. And looking back, I realize that I reap the number of benefits from doing that, from confessing my transgressions each week. One, I wasn't able to sweep them under the rug and hide them. Because confession forces us to take responsibility for our sinful attitudes and actions. And so each week when I entered that confessional booth, I knew what I needed to confess. My sins were on the front of my heart and mind. And it forced me to take responsibility for them and verbalize them. And each time I exited that confessional, I felt different. I felt lighter. Because unconfessed sin is a special kind of burden. It takes a huge toll on us. It weighs us down. And confession removes that burden. The second benefit that I experienced with confession as a young boy is it served as an antidote for my shame. Because confession does that. It serves as an antidote for our shame. You know, shame is the most private emotion that we feel as humans. And our tendency is to want to hide our shame and keep it in the dark all to ourselves. The problem with that, of course, is that shame feeds on that darkness. And the only way to starve shame is through confession. It brings something to light. Because shame can't survive alongside of confession, empathy, and forgiveness. I want to read a passage from the book of 1 John to you. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 says this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, what confession does is, is it allows God's light to shine in our lives. And it exposes all those things that are keeping us away from him, that are keeping us away from others. So when we practice confession, What we're really doing is we're refusing to hide our shame in the shadows. We're committing ourselves to to live authentically before God and before others. And we're also laying down the burden of pretending, which, which zaps a ton of energy from us. Which leads to another thing that confession does. Confession makes deep authentic relationships possible. You know, the first thing Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden after they took the forbidden fruit and rebelled against God, the first thing they did was cover themselves up and hide from each other. Because that's what unconfessed sin does. It makes us hide from one another. But when we're able to let a few trusted friends know who we are, know our weaknesses, our failures, our struggles, our sin, and our pain, then we're able to form deep authentic relationships. And I know that's easier said than done, right? Abandoning superficial relationships for authentic ones is incredibly scary. But the freedom and the intimacy we gain are worth it. A fourth benefit of confession is that confession helps us to avoid sinning against God and others. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. If they confess and turn. See, confessing helps us with the turning. It sets The turning into motion. Because once a sin or a wrong or a fault is confessed and known, it's easier to make right. It's easier to see it turned. See, confession strengthens us to do the right thing and and to make restitution where it's needed. And so when we confess it and we make it known, it's almost like it gives us the the energy and, and the strength to move forward in making that right. Finally, and most importantly, the, the, the biggest benefit of confession is that confession opens us up to receiving forgiveness through Jesus, and it invites the transformative power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Let me say that again. The biggest benefit of confession is it opens us up to receiving forgiveness through Jesus. Jesus. And it invites the transformative power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. You know, I have this little vegetable garden in my backyard. And I'm out there all the time weeding it and watering it and caring for it. Uh, But during the heat wave we had, the soil got really dry and hard. And I had to break up the soil with with a rake. I had to break it up before I watered it, because I was watering it and the water was just running off the hard, dry ground. You know, the prophet Hosea once told his people this, Break up your hard, dry ground and seek the Lord to come and shower down on you. See, confession is like taking a rake through our hearts and minds. It opens us up in the hard, dry places. It opens us up to receive God's forgiveness and freedom. And in turn, it it unleashes this spiritual growth in us. And I love that Hosea uses the metaphor of plowing hard ground, dry ground, because confession feels like that. It's unsettling. It's uncomfortable. But the results are undeniable, it makes us more fruitful. So I want to close just by sharing a few practical things about practicing confession. One, you don't need to find an actual confession booth to practice confession like I did as a young altar boy. You can start just by finding a quiet place to confess your sins before God and just show up from time to time. He is a really good listener, and he never condemns. And I guarantee you will never meet anyone better at forgiving than he is. First John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and not only will he forgive you, he'll give you the courage that you need to incorporate an ongoing rhythm of confession into your life. Another way to practice confession is to read prayers of confession in scripture. Psalm 51, for example, is a great confession prayer. We're going to pray some of that psalm together today at the close of our service. A third way to practice confession, and this is for the brave of heart who are looking to form some authentic relationships with others, find one or two friends that you trust and invite them into your practice of confession. You know, in the book of James, we're told to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another so we can be healed. There's something powerful that when we invite other people that we trust into our practice of confession and pray for one another, there's a healing that that takes place. My last piece of, of practical advice around confession is just to use wisdom. And there's two sides to this. One, be smart about who you're confessing to. Uh, Confession requires a certain level of maturity in good judgment. In other words, make sure the person you're confessing to won't use what you share against you or violate your confidence in any way. right? And on the flip side of that, be smart about receiving someone's confession. You know, as a pastor, I've been approached by people wanting to make a confession, and sometimes they'll say to me, hey, I have a confession to make, but you need to promise not to tell anyone. And my response usually is, okay, so long as you or someone else isn't in danger of being harmed in any way, and it doesn't feel too heavy for me to bear alone, I'll hear your confession. So if what you confess to me meets those conditions, I'll, I'll listen, I'll hold it in confidence, but if you or someone Else is in danger of being harmed, or it's too heavy for me to bear on my own, I'll have to discreetly share it with the appropriate people. Do you agree to that? And if they say yes, then I, I listen and I pray a prayer of blessing on them. I ask God to help them make a restitution where it needs to be made, to, to be courageous to finish out the process of confessing and turning. Um, so I hope that's helpful. As you consider the rhythm of confession. And if you'd like to explore this rhythm further. Of confessing your sins before God. Reading confession prayers from scripture. Or even inviting one or two friends into your practice of confession. Abby's put together a handy resource. With some of what I've shared today. That you can refer to. And it's going to be on the podcast page of our website. So you can find that there. All right. I'm going to hand things off to one of my new friends Sheila. And Sheila is going to share a testimony that involves actually a confession she made that was quite liberating, healing, and powerful. So here's Sheila.
0: Good morning, Church at the Well. My name's Sheila, and I don't know many of you in person because I actually started attending very shortly before COVID hit, and we all transitioned to this remote and virtual world of ours. But I wanted to share a little bit this morning of my testimony with you, specifically about the healing that I really believe can only come through repentance and through God's grace. If you'd asked me where I stood on the God thing back in September, I would have told you that I was an atheist who grew up in a Christian home and had walked away from my faith. While I grew up attending church and youth group and doing missions trips and checking off all of the boxes to be a good Christian kid, I also grew up in an abusive home. The church that I attended counseled my mother to stay married with my stepfather despite his frequent violent and scary outbursts because divorce was never acceptable. I certainly had a hard time rectifying this idea of a loving God or even conceptualizing him as a father, as the message of his love was really tarnished by the abuse and fear and pain that I felt at home every day. So shortly after leaving for college, I walked away from my faith completely. I was angry and bitter, and I certainly was not going to worship a God who valued marriage over the suffering of my family. In August of 2019, though, I started to have doubts I felt a sort of tugging at my heart. I would randomly remember Bible verses that I had memorized as a child or times in which I had felt connected to God and called to service through the Holy Spirit. I tried to ignore these messages for several months, uh, but they just sort of kept coming at me. In October, my best friend's grandfather passed away and I went to the funeral to support her. As soon as I walked into the church, I felt this overwhelming need to pray that I had not felt since I was a teenager. So I sat in the pew and I hung my head and I said, God, I don't even know if I believe in you, but I'm in a church and I have faith that you can get a message to me if you're really there. My heart is open and I'm listening. Almost immediately, my best friend's cousin walked over to me and sat down. We hadn't seen each other since we were teenagers, and she had no knowledge of the fact that I had walked away from my faith. So we chatted for a little bit before the service started, just small talk and such. Uh, And then the service happened, and nothing groundbreaking was said or anything. But after the service, she put her hand on my arm, and she looked me in the eyes, and she said, Sheila, do you believe in Jesus? I looked at her for a second, and I was completely not sure what to say or how to answer that. So she spoke again and she said, it's, it's okay if you don't or if you're not sure, but will you please dig into it for me? I promise you he's real and he loves you. I got chills. Uh, and I asked her why she would even ask me that or say that. And she said, I was praying during the service and I just felt the Holy Spirit asking me to talk to you about this. Now, in my mind, the only more direct answer that I could have gotten to my prayer would be if Jesus showed up himself and said, Hey, look, I'm real. So my entire two, two and a half hour drive home, I was listening to worship music and praying and crying and repenting for turning from him and for the hurtful things that I had said about him uh, to others. And I really like committed like, okay, I, I get it now finally, you know? Um, so, over the course of the next few days, I started to feel really con- convicted to repent to and forgive my mother as well. I had been incredibly hurtful to her, specifically in regard to her concerns for my faith and my spiritual well being. I held a lot of anger and resentment toward her for staying married to my stepfather for most of my childhood and all of my early adult years. I had been incredibly disrespectful to her. Uh, when talking with my friends about her, and I had been a pretty terrible daughter overall. So I prayed for over a week on how I could best sort of make amends for this, and I ended up writing her a letter in which I just sort of laid everything out for her. I owned my own disrespect and dismissiveness and arrogance, and I explained that I forgave her for for the hurtful things that she had said and done, and for staying married to my stepfather for as long as she did, and keeping us in an abusive home. She responded to my letter almost immediately, and we met up, and we talked, and we cried, and we hugged, and we prayed, and she forgave me, and I forgave her. She asked me what was responsible for this turnaround in my life, and I told her the whole story. And after I finished, she shared with me that starting in August, She had committed to fasting one day a week and praying for many in our family, but that I was at the top of her list. Now, her fasting and praying coincided exactly with that tug I started feeling, even though I had no idea that she was doing it. My mom and I are now closer than we've been probably in my entire life. And our relationship has been truly healed through God's grace and through our mutual repentance and forgiveness of each other. I hope that this is encouraging for at least some of you listening. Our God is real. Forgiveness is real. And prayer and repentance have very tangible, very real powers of healing. God bless you all.
1: Okay, now we're going to pray Psalm 51, verse 7 through 12 together. It says, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Yes, God, would you come and purify me from my sins and wash me so I can be white as snow. Verse 8, Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. God, would you give me back my joy again? Remove the stain of my sin. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Yes, Lord, would you create a clean heart in me, God? Would you renew a right spirit in me? Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me. I I, I need your presence, Lord. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. God, I close my prayer with just echoing these words. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Thank you, God, for for hearing my confession. And I receive your forgiveness and your mercy.
0: for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.